This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to the 11th episode of Analyzing Anfield and I've got a feeling this might be the best one yet. It's uh, less than 24 hours after Liverpool 4, that's Liverpool 4, 4, Barcelona 0. I don't know what 0 is in Spanish, let's just stay with 0. I'm your host Christian Walsh and with me as always is Josh Williams and Josh wanted to start off with a song today. Uh, I've lost my voice, to be honest, after being in Anfield, and I don't know what Josh's uh, singing voice is like, so we might skip over that. But if you were to do a song, I mean, which play would you would you dedicate it to? Who, who who's the man who deserves the vocal adulation? I think they all deserve a song, to be honest. But I think I'd be looking at the Arigi one at the minute because the new one isn't the outro. The Saturday night one. Yeah, yeah. Well, he does on the Tuesday nights as well. Yeah, and he's, and he's scored too as well, which is a bit. It was just crazy. You wouldn't expect that. So we we we'll 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 talk about we'll talk about everything. To be honest, let, let, let let's face it. it the greatest night Anfield's ever seen, in my opinion. Um, I I went into that game expecting maybe a two one win, maybe a, you know a valiant three one win. Um, could have also seen Barcelona grinding out a two 0 victory themselves. Liverpool's heads dropped once more, but it didn't happen. You know, Jurgen Klopp happens again. Still hasn't lost a two legged tie with Liverpool in European competition. Um, Josh, where to begin? I know you want to sort of maybe kick us off and talk a little bit about, because this is a tactical show. It's about tactics, it's about statistics. Um, and we will do our best to, to sort of keep it that way. Um, but you want to talk a little bit about how emotion can play into that as well, don't you? Yeah, well, uh, it was crazy. It was just, uh, as I completely agree with you in that it's the, the greatest night Anfield's ever seen. And I went into it, I don't recall ever being, what's the word, I don't recall ever being like less confident than I was for something to happen. Just because the, the way in which we lost that 3-0 over there, and then since companies obviously scored a 30 yarder, mm-hmm. and we've lost Salah and Firmino to injury, you just really didn't think something would happen. The only hope that I had was that we would score first. And we did so, but, uh, you know, as, as you say, this is about analysis and this is about tactics and delving into exactly what happened. And that's a really difficult task considering how crazy the match was. Uh, but I, I definitely think, although it's an intangible and it's just, it's, it looks... Like, it's not very thorough. I definitely think there's something about Anfield, there's something about the emotion and the drive and the passion and the hunger in the stadium that just seems to impact the play. Um, I read a piece a couple of months ago uh, on Barcelona and how they're planning for the future and things. And Valverde spoke, funnily enough, and he said, he said, there's no game in football, uh, there's no sport, sorry, whereby a coach has less of an influence on what happens on the field than football. Obviously, you get 15 minutes with the team at half-time, but in between that, the players take their own decisions for 45 minutes at a time, um, non-stop. And, you know, there's no timeouts, nothing like that. No playbooks and like yeah, the NFL. Exactly, exactly. And emotion impacts decision-making. That that's a that's a fact, really. 
And Barcelona, given that emotion, given the atmosphere and the environment that they were playing in, it just seemed to impact them. And it was just, it was crazy. I mean, crazy is the word. We'll talk about, I suppose, what Klopp may be influenced in those 15 minutes a little bit later. Well, let's talk about before the game. Um, you know, you said Salah was out. You said Firmino was out. So when when I, when you look through everybody's, uh, you know, potential teams, predicted starting lineups, you know, there was always some a player missing. You know, I saw somebody, a Milner was missing and I saw another one and, and you know, Origi didn't make the cut or, you know, Shaqiri was on the bench. But it was actually Gini Wijnaldum who ended up sort of the odd man out of this of this uh, of this lineup. He he was very unhappy by all accounts at at, at that fact. Um, did it surprise you that he didn't call upon Wijnaldum? Um Not too much because we ultimately needed to find a way to include goals on the side, mm. considering Salah's loss. Which is ironic considering what happened, of course. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. Um, a little bit crazy. But I think you, I think Fabinho was always going to play as the six. I like Henderson as the eight, as I said, I've said previous episodes, he, he causes disorganisation from an opposition perspective. He, although he's not um, the most creative with the ball at his feet, just his his operation as a force seems to uh, disrupt the opponent. And then you've got Milner on the opposite side, who... He's, he's surprisingly creative, Milner. Uh, he, in terms of registering assists, at least... And obviously he's a penalty taker as well. So it, and, and we've spoken in the past about Wijnaldum offering like a safety option, being cautious and things like that. So I think Wijnaldum's exclusion was was just from the perspective of adding goals above everything else. But uh, you know we we did seem down to to scraps really, and I think it was a case of you know whatever the, the best case scenario was not going to be much better than. The worst case, I think. I think it was just a, a flip of a coin to an extent. It's interesting to say about Milner. Certainly earlier in the season, it's probably the same now. He was he was one of the top three in terms of progressive passes for Liverpool over you know per ninety minutes. So you know he is more creative and he does advance the ball more than people might think. Um, I suppose you know let's let's I suppose let's go sort of player by player or position by position and sort of look at how they impacted the game. Um, you know, and let's start actually with, with somebody who I don't think is probably getting as much credit as he deserves in all this, and it's Alison Becker. Um, he made two or three really good saves at really crucial times, and I know you wanted to speak about Alison a little bit. You know, we haven't really touched upon him, have we, in general, um, on this podcast because he's just so reliable um, and he's just such a, a presence. But he. You know, if you're looking at sort of Liverpool going to the Champions League this year compared to last year, that's straight away one of the biggest upgrades that you can possibly imagine. Yeah, well, we wouldn't be where we are without Alisson, in my opinion. You look, you look at the group stage. We we were so close to going out in the groups, and that last chance that Napoli had, I can't remember who it was. It was the the Polish lad, hey, Milik. Milik, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, six yards out, and he and he saves it last. Last minute, so that keeps us in the tournament, and just just gradually over the course of the season, you know, we know Allison's overperformed in terms of what he should have conceded compared to what he's actually conceded, and you know that indicates either an element of luck or an element of strong performance, basically in comparison to your average goalkeeper. 
And then when you look at why we initially signed Allison, his performances at Roma, he he did the same there. So over such a long period of time, that's no longer luck. That's just suggests that he's a, he's an above average shot stopper. He's better at saving shots than the average goalkeeper. Um, he's in that elite bracket whereby he saves chances maybe that you'd expect most keepers to concede. Um, and you know this, this was a perfect example of it. Gordon to Weisskog, he should have conceded uh, 1.49 goals. Obviously, he conceded zero. Yeah. So and in a game where if Liverpool concede that out. Yeah. Yeah. And so straight away there, you know, he's overperforming there in one match by 1.49. And then if you do that consistently over the course of a season and you, you add up by like, you know, 0.5 per match, then a 0.6, then a 0.7, you know, it, it, it snowballs and you get to a point whereby you're over um, you're overperforming by, I'm not exactly sure what his figure is at the minute, I'll get it up now, but um, I think it's, I think he's overperformed by around eight, maybe. I think he should have conceded eight more than he actually has, something like that. Just checking now. He's conceded 38 in all competitions. Mm. Should have conceded 47. Yeah. So there you go. Um, so yeah, I was right with that, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, roughly. So yeah, he's just, he's just an, an elite performer and... The way in which we've changed this season to go a bit more controlling, a bit more pragmatic, he's just suited that so well because of how in control of situations he is. Such an assuring presence at the back. And that that just almost spreads out throughout the rest of the team. Do you think he's got better? Because I do. Obviously his distribution, he had that moment was against Leicester earlier in the season, but... Just everything about him now, he just feels like he fills the goal. And again, this isn't intangible, but you know, in stoppage time, he's collecting balls there, isn't he? He's he's he's, he's, he's commanding his box. He's he's very much a, a player that you can rely on. Yeah, I think initially he maybe felt the reason, felt the need to justify his price tag almost, mm. and he was overplaying a bit and doing things he didn't necessarily have to do in terms of with the ball at his feet. Certainly in this match, he cut that out. Um, and, you know, at, at the top level, you will play for teams that, if you're, if you're a goalkeeper, you're going to be not as busy, basically. You're going to be less involved. Some keepers in such a situation will feel the need to then over-exaggerate saves. They'll feel the need to overplay on the ball just because... To an extent, the board and 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 they want some of the lime like maybe, or do you want to get involved a bit more? I think Allison, particularly in this match, just acted almost as a a, a silent guardian, as cheesy as that sounds, because he he's contributing massively to the results, massively to the fact that we've now gone through to the final. But as you say, he's you know getting less plaudits, if you like. Move on to the uh, the fullbacks. Obviously, one of them had a, a stunning impact in terms of you know his assists, um, which we'll move on to in terms of Trent Alexander Arnold. Um, sadly, Andy Robertson only off forty five minutes was withdrawn uh, through injury at half time. Uh, found it interesting. I don't know. This is normally the, the case, but you know of of the, of the players who started, um, Trent had the worst pass accuracy in Liverpool side, and um, Andy Robertson was the third worst. Only Divock Origi was sort of between them and you know 
that's not to the detriment. I found it very interesting, especially in the first half, how, you know, there was a clear instruction, wasn't it, to basically don't give the ball back to the middle, don't give the ball back to Barca's midfield, don't see control to them. And that's what the, the, you know, maybe a little bit in the first half, Trent did that, but certainly in the second half, you know, they knew exactly where they were, where, where he was putting the ball. He knew that it had to go down the line. He knew that he had to hit the channels. Yeah, I think we were, we were much more inclined in this match to attack using the flanks, I mm. think, compared to away. I think away we wanted that defensive mm. um, assurance without the, when the ball was lost. Well, most passes, I was of interest um, in the team. Trent was first, Milner was second. Both, I mean, Milner was essentially playing as a right mid at, at times, wasn't he? Yeah, um, Milner so, played all over, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Left back. Um, well, of course, yeah. But, you know, he played left back as well. So there's the idea that the, the full backs or, you know, they're the going down the, the, the wide areas, aren't they? Yeah, I think the, the fact that he's lost the ball the most, you know, I've always said that passing accuracy to an extent offers an insight into the the role that a player's fulfilling and the risk that he's allowed to take. And if Wijnaldum, for example, is usually top mm. of the accuracy and that's because his role usually involves coverage, um, defensive um, protection and things like that. Whereas Trent, obviously, if, he, if he's given the ball away an awful lot, that could be perceived as, you know, always making mistakes, but I, I would perceive that as he's trying things and... He's taking risks. I must say, his, his passing is ridiculous. For a 20-year-old fullback, his passing is mm. un- unbelievable. The, the, the technique, the way in which he strikes the ball. I think, like, 15 years ago, he'd be regarded as one of the best right-wingers yep. in the Premier League. Because mm. he's, he's, he doesn't have remind me of Beckham in some instances, mm. the way he wraps his foot around the ball. Um, it's... It, Proper impressive, but I think in the modern day, obviously, those crossing traits are more valuable from uh, for fullbacks. So that, that's why he's um, that's why he's now fulfilling that role. But he's such a player, such a talent. I mean, Andy Robertson as well. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a massive shame that he had to go off. Obviously, Milner sort of filled in that that gap nicely. Um, but just going back to Trent for a moment, the two assists. I think the first one is is fantastic in the sense that there's a he recovers the ball, you know he's 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 giving it away, but he recovers it very quickly and puts a puts a great pass um, into to Wijnaldum. Um But then we'll talk about the second one. Um, I've never seen anything quite like it. I I, I, I just I, I don't I don't think I was even looking at the pitch at that time. I think I sort of was was sort of assessing what was going. I was looking at the pitch, but I was sort of assessing who was coming up for the corner, and it was just it was remarkable. Yeah, no, I couldn't believe it, me. And I, I, I didn't actually think at the time that it was premeditated, and I just thought it was quick thinking at the time from Trent's perspective. I think we, we had a moment earlier in the, a couple of weeks ago in the Cardiff game where Trent and Wijnaldum pre-organised a little moment there, and I think unlike City, Klopp has fostered a culture whereby. You know, I think that our team's a lot more adaptable than City. I think we're we're able to manage ourselves more. I think the dressing room and on the pitch, the, the players just adapt and, and they're more flexible than, than City. I think City require everything to go to plan and the control freaks and things like that. And this this just stems from that. The, the, the players able to um, 
just come up with their own little situation, their own little solution out of nowhere. And obviously we've seen articles today, which you know, I was amazed at Liverpool's analysis department, you know, recognising that this is a potential potential gain. Is, is there anything more sort of, you know, people will say it's just 22 men and a ball and, a, and sticks. And a, does, does this not sort of, at, at a high level sort of situation like this, one of the, one of the biggest games in world football, that level of analysis to sort of shine through is, is remarkable. To even get the ball boys involved, I don't think I've, I, I, I haven't heard of anything like that ever. I mean, you know, you can you can throw it back to the days when I remember John Aldridge wouldn't let, um, sorry, Sam Allardyce was complaining about the fact that um, John Aldridge's tramia were toweling the ball so Dave Chalner could, you know, get more grip on his long throws that sort of thing there's been kickoffs about that before I think it happened with Rory Delap as well but I mean this is this is absolute even next level stuff when when the ball boys are getting involved and the souls to get the ball back to Liverpool as quickly as possible yeah this is really you know as thorough as you get really this is um, meticulous is the word for it I think uh, you know since Michael Edwards has come in and analytics seems to have taken not taken over, but, you know, really got involved with, 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 with what goes on at Liverpool behind the scenes. Analytics is all about taking care of them 1% and making constant good decisions. And since Klopp came in as well, we've all, all, always been about them 1% things. And even when we played Cardiff and they had their, didn't watch the pitch, so the previous day, we trained with those conditions to, you know, to prepare. Um, one thing I was very impressed about when Klopp first came in, I found out that we'd always train based on the time of the of the next match. So, mm-hmm. say for example, it was a night game, we'd train in the night. If it was a morning game, we'd train in the morning, kind of thing. Just those little one percent thing, they just make such a difference over the course of a season. And I've always been really big on analysis, and I've created videos in the past and stuff. Those that have followed me on Twitter will know. That I've done that in the past, but never to the extent whereby I'm picking up on that. Um, the fact that there's a potential gain there because whenever the ball goes out of play, Barcelona players switch off. That's that's you know fair play there, no that because that's made such a difference to our to our season. And you know, hats off. We want to send the backs quite briefly, um, which seems unfair, really, considering they shut out Barcelona for 90, 95 minutes. But um, just a little bit on Joel Matip. Um, I mean, I know, I think I asked you this a couple of weeks ago, and you were very much saying Gomez to Matip free, but are we getting to the situation now where it's a bit of 2A, 2B, where they're interchangeable, or are you still on the Gomez train? No, I do, I do believe that they are interchangeable. That's, that's one thing I did say. I, if you even love them to an extent, mm. to an extent, I want to be clear there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, they are interchangeable. That's the, that's the good thing. Uh, Massive was quality. He's been quality since since he came in, really. And I think he's, he's took a lot of us by surprise. Luis Suarez, for example, 13 passes completed in the course of the match. That's, that's his worst all season, apart from one match against Real Sociedad. And that was in, that was in like, September, I think, or um, October at the latest. Even Messi. Messi made more passes than the home leg 
But you know the difference was in that in the home leg, even though he very sporadically got on the ball, he influenced the play so much with those few touches. But at Anfield, he got slightly slightly more touches and, and stuff. But half the dribbles, half the through balls, fewer progressive runs. So you know we we, we restricted the play into him still, but also restricted him from impacting the match as much as he did in uh, Spain. So, just a, a top defensive performance, really. Two interceptions for Masip, two for Van Dijk. Uh, likewise, two tackles, two tackles. Um, eight clearances between them. Um, and something, you know, just I, f- I found this quite interesting. You know, people say Liverpool don't, don't box clever, they don't play smart. You know, one foul from Masip and one foul from Van Dijk. And, and naturally, those fouls will happen in areas where the dangerous set pieces. Um, so the fact that they've sort of, you know, only conceded two free kicks between them in that 90 minutes is, is, is again, just a testament about how clever they are and, and, and sort of how well they defended. Yeah, especially considering, you know, how aggressive the system is and mm. the style of play there. But, um, yeah, it just it just stems from the control that we've, um, that we've instigated this season. Obviously, you don't want to be given foul. I think we get, Messi had one free kick chance, really, didn't he? And that was at about four 0 I think. Mm. Uh, that was a hit the wall. Yeah, that was a um, nervous moment. Let's mm. say that. But other than that, yeah, they, they were relatively flawless. Someone who did uh, put in a couple of more fouls was um, <laughs> was Fabinho, but that that's no that's no problem um, because first and foremost, it wasn't a foul on Suarez, which he got booked for, in my opinion, but. Uh, I, he was my man of the match, Josh. Um, I thought this is this shows you what forty million pounds great recruitment get you. Um, I know you've been looking at him today. Um, so you know if you want to just sort of wax lyrical about him for a bit, because I, I was in order. To, uh, I think especially considering he was on yellow from a very early part of the game. I think he was absolutely. Phenomenal. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad that you've just mentioned recruitment there because that was something I was going to bring up because that's something that Liverpool have, you know, smashed really mm. for a number of years now. The recruitment has been superb and we've incorporated, you know, analytics with um, potential with what they'll offer us in the, med- in the immediate future. But crucially, we've, we've really identified personality as a key trait. Um, if you look at our team now, if you if you wanted to name the leaders in our team, off the top of my head, I could say Salah is a leader, especially mm. for his country. Mane, the same. Yes. Then you've got Henderson and Milner. Yeah. Wijnaldum, I think, was captain of Feyenoord. He was, and he's also fourth captain now. Yeah. As judged by the players. Yeah. Um, then you have Fabinho, who I think was captain at Monaco, I think. You think he might have done it a couple of times? You certainly yeah, acts certainly like one. was at some yeah. point. Um, then you got Van Dijk, obviously, obviously a leader. Then you got Allison. Andy Robertson's currently captain of Scotland. Scotland. So you've got a team there that's full of absolute characters. And Klopp's been saying recently, you know, using this phrase, mentality giants, mentality monsters. And Fabinho epitomizes it because he's such a character and a fighter. And you know, willing to get involved where it's 
where it's going to hurt him, maybe, kind of thing. And he set the tone for me. That, that's one thing I've wrote in the piece today. Yeah. He made two two slide tackles inside thirty two minutes, uh, thirty two seconds. Um, obviously took out Suarez. He contributed to attacks being maintained just by breaking up the play. And when he did that, the ball he kept it simple, um, which allowed us, I think, to just manage the overall game state. Because obviously, if you're chasing a three nil three nil loss, you know naturally you'd want to just chase it all at once but I think to an extent you've got to put your foot on the ball sometimes and think right we don't need all three in five minutes compose yourselves Linders has um, labelled them as a lighthouse in the past in, inside the organised chaos that we create and he's just he's just a superb player and I've been a fan of him all season I think he's a proper midfield general I think he'll um, he'll improve at times well he's just Young. That, yeah, 25. yeah, twenty-five. Yeah, that's another thing that comes from the recruitment. We 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 don't we don't sign players that um, basically aren't sustainable. We sign players that are going to give us a decent amount of output over a number of years, rather than say, for example, Alexis Sanchez at United, who fair enough top player when he signed, but how many years how many years are they going to get out of him at the top level? Even if he did hit the ground running at United, it's going to be a matter of time before he's on half a million a week, but not contributing to that mm. level. And if you look at United as well, they've signed players over the years who you'd consider as top players, but they haven't really delved into the personality aspect of it. Fulham and another team who recruited really well last summer, but you could tell that they'd recruited without considering personality traits and they'd recruited largely off statistics and things like that. And they just bunched a load of players together who have good numbers and have a lot of potential there, but they haven't got the characters there. Um, and Liverpool have just consistently over the years added um, proper leaders to a, a solid group of people. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I mean, talk about leaders as well. I mean, there's an unlikely one in Divock Origi. <laughs> I mean, he's not. I mean, he's not what you would call a uh, prototypical leader. He's not the sort of chest-beating, roaring, um, you know, like a Henderson or a Van Dyke or, or that type of player. But uh, he's leading in terms of goals and in terms of making the, the big, massive contributions. You know, the goal against Everton, the goal against Newcastle. Now these two goals. I mean, this is a this is a, he, he, he's pretty much out of the club this time last year. Um, he was on loan at Wolfsburg. They were in a relegation playoff, which they managed to just you know stay up by the skin of the teeth. I mean, how do you see that? How like how how does he do it? Because the, the the don't get me wrong, he's not he's not a bad footballer, but he's still so what is he now twenty four? I think he he still feels so raw and so untapped in terms of his potential and yet he's got a crack and finish on him he's he's aware and you know the, the, the fourth goal kind of epitomises that and the first to be fair you know he, he's there following up the loose balls yeah well when he when he started to make an impact a couple of weeks ago I referenced Shakiri as a similar player to him in terms of the impact that they were having because earlier in the season I didn't think Shakiri would do that much 
in regard to contributing to us week in, week out. The reason Shakiri eventually forced his way into the team with the the 4-2-3-1 switch was because whenever we were bringing him on, he was so alert to everything that was happening around him, so on his toes, that he was having an impact, he was influencing things, and gradually Shakiri lost that a little bit. But then when we started to bring on Rigi then, few substitute appearances, and he demonstrated the same traits of just being so alert to what's going on around him. And, you know, like a poaching instinct at times, and he was the only one to follow in the, the Pickford thing. That was crazy, but, you know, who would even follow that? Who's in? gambling that? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I'd like saying the way. And with this with this goal, that especially the, the, the one with Trent, that epitomises his alertness because he's on his toes more so than any of the Barca players and I think I don't even think he actually realises what's happening until the ball's already on its way to him and I think he just reacts with instinct without even thinking and puts the ball into the, into the net uh, so yeah just, just the fact that he's so alert whenever he's involved so direct when he's um, in possession it's ultimately helped us, and uh, I must admit, I didn't think he'd be as crucial, not even half as crucial as he has been this season. So we'll just talk very, very briefly now about the Wijnaldum change. Well, maybe not so briefly, it's, it's quite a big thing. Andy Robertson gets injured, um, you know, Milner, it was an obvious it was an obvious choice, I think, um, with no recognisable left-back, you know, on the bench. Um, so they bring on Wijnaldum and you know you can't write football sometimes he plays as a centre forward last week zero shots zero goals of course um, plays as a centre mid this this uh, this game two shots two goals with a uh, touch of six and seven of, of the game for him uh, I mean the enigma well yeah you know long time listeners of the podcast you can you, you, you know you can yeah. you can listen to the previous episodes in the archives but you know we, we, we've debated Wijnaldum and it always comes with the with the you know the the, the warning you know sort of the dis- disclaimer uh, I, we're not anti Wijnaldum we just don't quite know what he does tangibly um, but I'll tell you what the, the, he should be able. To, he should be doing this a, l- a little bit more because you know, Gina Wijnaldum is this late arriving um, presence in the boxes. Is certainly interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have spoken in the past about how he's a safety first player and things like that, and that was largely why I didn't fancy him as the false nine last week because that involves quick link up play. It involves risks. It involves playing forwards, and he didn't suit that. If he's going to play any offensive role, he seems to thrive when he's tasked with arriving late in the box, almost like a Lampard. He was a 10. He yeah, was a yeah, 10. Yeah, but he was a 10, not in the form of like Ozil or mm. David Silva. He was a 10 as in, An eight. as I said, like a Lampard yeah. or a Aaron Ramsey, mm. someone like that. Um, and he doesn't seem to do it often, but when he does, he seems to score. And I think... One thing that's confused a lot of fans, the ones that maybe aren't that keen on Wijnaldum, is why he's got such a positive perception amongst the supporters. And I think the reason for that, and the same goes with Rigi, nothing will shape how you're perceived in the game, more so than goals. Ultimately, 
it's it's goals. If you score goals, no matter how bad you are, if you score goals, and I'm not saying he's bad, by the way, but if you score goals, it will impact how people think of you and how people perceive you. And Wijnaldum does it. He seems to score in really high-pressure moments, crucial goals, and I think he's done the same this season. So like I, I saw a, vo- a voting poll thing on Twitter a couple of weeks ago when it was, would you keep Origi beyond the end of the season? And I think it was something like 70-30 in favour of yes. And when you think of what he's actually done outside goals, it's not a great deal. I don't think he's provided many assists. I don't think he's the most creative or anything like that. Uh, because he scores, you know, goals to side games and both Wijnaldum and Origi pop up in crucial moments. It's it's you couldn't write it. It is remarkable. And just touching on Wijnaldum a little bit more there. I mean, you know, you talk about his pass accuracy, 93.3%. Um 15 passes in in 45 minutes, which seems very low. But obviously they see the possession. They, they were quite happy for Barca to have possession, certainly after the 80th minute. Um but he's the only one who who, who threw in an accurate through ball uh, in the whole game. But that's I think that's largely because they were trying not to put balls down the middle because they didn't want to give the ball back to, to Barca in those positions. And I, I think that sort of weaves into what Liverpool did to Barcelona in the sense that, you know, disrupted Barcelona's driven from the off. You know, no Barcelona player who started managed over 90% pass accuracy. I don't know when the last time that, that would have happened for Barcelona. Well, I, I looked at the uh, the overall team passing, passing mm-hmm. accuracy and it was 84.3% passing accuracy. The last time that it was that low in a match, all competitions, was February 2018. Wow. So, about a year and a half ago now. And that was against Ibar, who, if you've listened to this show weekly... Yeah. Super Massive pressing, yeah. yeah. Crazy pressing team to the extent where it's a bit stupid. So, that doesn't really surprise me too much. But it just epitomises how Barcelona struggled, how we just didn't let them play their own game. And I spoke a couple of weeks ago on a preview show about how they have a, gen- a general lack of pace in attack. And I think over the course of the two legs, we really saw that in how we managed to squeeze the game into one half. They really struggled to, to escape their own half in both legs, I thought. And that stems from, if you can play a high line, you can then squeeze that pitch. Whereas... Say, for example, when we played City, they've got Sane on one wing and Sterling on the other, usually. Both speed merchants, so you've got that threaten behind and so you'll maybe be a bit more cautious and drop off more easily. Um, but yeah, we just we, we give Barcelona the absolute nightmare game that they were, they were going into. Um, they lost the highest number of balls all season last night. 118. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, and another thing as well that I didn't actually mention earlier on the whole emotion thing I think you, Klopp's spoken in the past just about like the, the collective and the unit um, he was talking about politics a couple of months ago wasn't he and he said uh, he said history told us that if you are alone you are weaker, weaker than, in, than if you're in a unit and that just epitomises this Liverpool team and to an extent, it epitomises Barca because Barca, to an extent, are a one-man team, really, with Messi. It's super reliance on Messi for virtually everything. Whereas Liverpool are just 
you know, one unit. Um, I remember Linda saying in the past that Klopp's overall philosophy is about um, 30% tactics and 70% team building, which is a unique quote in itself, and I don't think it's entirely as simple as that. Mm. But, you know, it just ties in with the whole emotion of the event, how we come to win, winning eventually. Um, and how aligned Anfield is with the, the style of the team and the style of the manager. It was uh, just a perfect storm. And the storm rumbles on because on Sunday, Liverpool could become Premier League champions. And it's absolutely the season of a lifetime. Um, and we know it's unlikely. And um, we'll touch a little bit upon Brighton City at the very end. But... Um, Liverpool still have a job to do themselves and I think it'll be quite a hard job Josh um, I think there's a little bit of a possibility of after the Lord Mayor show I think you know as we were saying they did they, expend a lot of energy closing those channels cutting out those passing lanes so they play Wolves who are 7th um, I think they're guaranteed to finish 7th um, and they're a side who Liverpool have looked ropey against twice this season. There was a period in the game just before Christmas in the league where Klopp wasn't happy. Um, Liverpool very much lost control of that game. And then, of course, albeit in a crazy circumstances, Jan Kiana Hoover was playing. Sorry, Kiana Hoover was playing um, after Lovren's injury, but still, they lost in the FA Cup as well. So, Wolves, Josh, you know, can are they going to be the party poopers? Are they the ones who are going to make... City's result against Brighton redundant. I personally don't think they are. No, I think it's going to be a tough match, and you know they're not an ideal team to have on the final day. But what the first thing I checked was whether they had confirmed seventh, and they obviously have now. Um, so they're essentially playing for nothing, um, and we're obviously playing for the title. It's at Anfield, and. I think out of, out of all the teams this season to face Wolves, the top sides, I think we've coped with them the best, although it was still tricky mm. at the time. Apart from the obvious, the FA Cup game, but that was, as you say, a completely different side, many laying goal and things. So, uh, But yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a test, obviously, but I would expect Liverpool to, to run out winners. I think the, the only real problems we had at Molyneux was in relation to counter-attacks. And Klopp spoke after that match, that was to do with you know, taking risks and trying things in the wrong areas of the pitch before your defensive structure's secured, really, and before you've got good coverage around the ball. So that was then allowing Wolves to quickly break through us, um, and we were unable to regain the ball quickly. In the second half, we seemed to stop that, and the game, you know, a lot more controlled. We ended up winning 2-0, so I'd be surprised if... You know, at the at the end of the match, we we actually end up dropping any points here because it it should be it should be a win. Of course, there's uh, Ruben Neves and his long shots. Um, we won't we won't repeat the stat that Liverpool haven't conceded from outside the box in the Premier League because when we talked about Liverpool not conceding from outside the box, in the, uh, you know, very often this season. The uh, a couple of days later, Lionel Messi poked one in from about thirty five yards, but. Um, you know, Neves, he's you know he's got a reputation as a long range shooter, but he's, he's certainly not. He's not only you know I know he's not as good as he uh, as people think he is. Uh, we've spoken about that previously on the pods in terms of long range shooting, 
but he is a classy player. Um, and Wolves are a classy team, aren't they? I mean, will that suit Liverpool? Um, it, it fully depends on how pragmatic they are. Mm. Uh, they don't press Wolves, do they? No, they're not, not a really. pressure side. Not really. I think they're bottom on PPDA, which is maybe second behind Cardiff. Yeah, did it, did it seem that I picked up on earlier in the season in terms of it's difficult to break into the box against them? They do, you know, they're, they're relatively easy to, not to break down, but you can get in and around their box. But once you get there, their bank of five, it's it's tricky then. That's why when I picked up on when Spurs played them earlier in the season, Pochettino seems to have just instructed his team to shoot. Because looked at the pass map at the end of the match and most of the shots came from outside the box. Harry Kane actually scored one of them. Mm. It, was a, it was a scream or so. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. That never shooting thing, just on that, he's, he's taken 68 shots this season from outside the box. That's 13 more than in second place. That's both Ericsson and Madison in second place. And then below second place, everyone's grouped. Everyone's kind of together. Mm. So Neves out on 68 is kind of on his own. And even given that he's only scored two. Mm. So this long range expert, not not for me. Mm. Um, unless he's having you know a few off-season. I haven't looked at every single shot. There might be more to it. But as I say, I think it's a, it's a game I'd expect us to win. Liverpool might win that, Josh, but do Man City beat Brighton? Yes. <laughs> I think it's a simple And that's that. all for this week, Aldo. <laughs> uh, I wish it wasn't the case, but I think Brighton are the bad side, I've got to be honest. Uh, they can't attack. They don't attack. They seemed to attack the other day against Arsenal, but that could stem from a number of things, uh, such as... Arsenal's poor defensive structure, such as the fact that Arsenal needed the win, so they kind of overcommitted. And such as Brighton at that stage were recently free from relegation, so shackles are off to an extent. But watching City, it's depressing how many factors they have under their control. And for anything to happen, for any any results to go against them, a team has to be A, capable, and B, willing to somehow influence a few of those factors. And I don't see I don't see it in Brighton's case. I don't see I don't see them willing for for a start. I think Chris Hutton's too conservative. And I think his, his nature is defensive first. Um and I'm not overly certain that they're capable either. I don't think they've got the profiles to, to slice through City. The, the, the only positive is that it's away. Th- things can happen away from home, of course. And you obviously never know, but... They only need the point of Liverpool to win. They only need the point Brighton. Yeah, that's true, yeah. But if Man City get the first goal, what is Brighton's response? I think for, for, for me as well... I've been really frustrated in the fact that City never, ever conceded first. They, they never tested Liverpool in this running. I mean, it stems from, I suppose, how organised the teams are and how good the teams are to an extent. City are obviously at least one of the best Premier League teams ever, if not the best. But they haven't had to respond really in any way during the match. They haven't had a period in a match whereby they've been pressurised or desperate. 
apart from maybe company's goal on, on Monday. But other than that, the, the last time that they won a goal down in a Premier League game was against Chelsea at Christmas mm. when they ended up losing 2-0. Even when they got beat by Palace and even when they got beat by Newcastle, they still didn't concede the opening goal. They, they're just never in trouble. That's one thing that's obviously frustrating from a Liverpool fan perspective. You, you just want that. You want them to overcome that test. If they do, fair enough. But they've had so much under their control in the past couple of weeks that it's it's you know fair play. But it's it's hard to watch. It's hard to seek hope from too. Do you think game situation might help this in terms of where 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 we're at? So, you know, Liverpool take an early lead. You know, they go two or three up, and then Man City over over sudden need to, you know, attack because they know they need to score. You know, do you see any hope there? Is is again? Is it one of those where if you're playing Leicester, the king power, you, you know, you're rubbing your hands with glee, but ultimately. Brighton haven't got the, the you know can knock out there on the break is is, is there anyone there is yeah, I can't even say the lad's name Yaks and Bash you know <laughs> yeah, um, is there anybody like that who can do it is there a set piece set pieces are a positive I'll give you that one um, they've got two really dominant centre backs there who are both good aerially um, but yeah, a few people have mentioned to me about say Liverpool score first and, and news gets to City that may influence things but I, I just don't see it I don't see Brighton causing many problems at all I think Chris Hutton will approach it without any consideration really is regarding how to attack City I think he literally tries to defend for 90 minutes and you just can't do that you need to have some kind of outlet you need to have some kind of means of attacking and you know I'm glad I don't have to come up with it because Brighton against City it's a clear mismatch but there's not many worse teams in the league that City could be playing from are Liverpool are they 19th from the XG? I think they are yeah, yeah. Um, they just don't create chances really they just don't score so Carragher's mentioned a couple of times after after the Premier League matches that it, it's going to take something like a red card mm. or something mad like a penalty or an Andros Townsend 40 yarder like we saw earlier in the season it's going to take something mad like that because as I said Everton in a match most factors City have under their control and I've never seen the side have so much control of all proceedings in a match um, hopefully something comes from it I will be amazed if something comes from it but you know fingers crossed I think we said the same about Liverpool knocking out Barcelona so <laughs> that is true there we but go can, 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 can lighten the strike twice mis- I'll defend myself there this week I saw a poll on Twitter and it said what the Liverpool have more of a chance in and it said A City losing and this was when he still had Leicester to play it's a, a City dropping points or B, Liverpool going through over Barca. And I, I picked Barca. I actually thought we had more of a chance to beat Barca. So, you know... I'd, you might have used up your one credit there. Yeah, maybe, yeah. We we hope, we pray. Please, please, please. And I know it feels a little bit, you know, because we just got to the Champions League final and, and, and everyone's absolutely buzzing, but Liverpool could be Premier League champions come Sunday afternoon. And that's, that, that's remarkable. Um, just very, very quickly, Josh. Very quickly... 
Ajax or Spurs in the final? Who do we want? Who do we want? Uh, Analytically, remove any sort of... You Analytically? Know, yeah, yeah. Who, 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 who do Liverpool want to play? So who have they got the best chance of winning the European Cup against? Um, it's tricky, but I'd say Ajax. Mm. Just because... Um, Obviously, everyone knows the Ajax philosophy. Everyone knows what they're dedicated to, and Liverpool is just it's, sim- it's similar to Barca. Yeah. And Liverpool are just ideally suited to playing those nice possession sides. And I think Ajax are uh, not as slow as Barca in attack, but relatively similar in that we should be able to squeeze the pitch, create a bit of chaos. Um, and I ultimately couldn't take. A loss to an English side in a Champions League final. Correct. So, although I think would beat Spurs, I couldn't deal with that. Uh, and Ajax as well. If we did lose it to Ajax, there's no team out there that I'd rather lose a Champions League final to than Ajax. I'd, I'd feel half bad beating them. To be honest, I'm not much of a fan of that club, but you know we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I just don't want to play Pochettino with uh, with with three weeks training. And no doubt, a massive painkiller injection to the ankle of Harry Kane. Yeah, I was thinking that myself. Yeah, <laughs> he'll, he'll, uh, and, and and you know, if he did somehow manage to win it, he'd uh, he'd definitely be getting up in his kit, um, even if he didn't play a single minute. So um, yeah, well, we watched that tonight as well. If you listened to it after Tottenham versus Ajax, um, let us know if you agree, Ajax or Spurs, which one would you prefer? Um, and thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we're still absolutely buzzing, um, bouncing off the walls here that Liverpool somehow into the Champions League final. They're going to Madrid. And by the next time we speak to you next week, they could also be Premier League champions. What a season. What a team. Thanks very much for joining us. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.